I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What's up, guys? Happy Wednesday. At the time of this recording, the Celtics have not yet played their game against the Grizzlies. I'm going to operate under the assumption that they win, so if they don't, then you can just ignore this part. Today, we've got a special interview. We're joined by Basketball Savant, former video coordinator for not one but two NBA teams, along with an international team, uh, Australian men's, Mr. Mo DeKeel. Mo, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How about yourself, Adam? I'm living the dream, man, living the dream. <laughs> Basketball's back. It's on at an hour that I'm not sleep deprived all the time um it's it's going really it's got to well. be fun for, it's got to be fun for you on the uk side you know with, with with the times of games it is but now i'm kind of struggling to actually fit them in around my normal day schedule i'm like maybe it was better maybe i had it the right way when i was just waking up early and i could catch them at my own leisure instead of like oh this game's on at 5 p.m i'm at work at 5 p.m <laughs> Hey, it's, it's it's what i found difficult about the schedule is that there's just so many games and they almost all carry importance, especially early on. It was it was hard to just keep track of everything. That's the problem, right? Like being able to watch all of the games as well. Like you finish one, and it was an emotional roller coaster, and all of a sudden you're getting straight back on to the next game. Yeah, and and I would find myself fatigued by the end of the day. Like even the last game, I would just be watching it, but not really have a full understanding of what was going on. Well, that's what's really get, been getting to me. It's like I don't actually understand how I'm consuming this much basketball and being able to coherently talk about it the next day because I'm getting plays muddled up. And one minute <laughs> I, I think the Suns played the Lakers, but really it was Portland because my games have gone into one. Yeah, I mean, that's just the, the way it's been for everybody, I think. We've, we've <laughs> all kind of – it tends to happen during the season too, but this is just – this seems uh, – I think I was just texting a friend of mine. I go like, I love it. Don't get me wrong, but this is also a little bit overload. <laughs> How are you finding the format? Are you enjoying? Like, do you feel like it's a format that you'd like the the NBA to explore moving forward? In terms of in terms the of yeah, not, yeah, maybe not so much as a bubble, but like a centralized location. Maybe I don't know. Maybe play the playoff centralized or a seeding. No, game. I I I think I I'd rather they kind of stay with the uh, the normal format. I mean. You know, I think there's something to have in the home crowd, home home court, and just them going nuts in big moments. Or the other way around, a road team coming in and completely silencing a crowd, uh, I think is a lot of fun with that. So for me, I, 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 this is a special circumstance. I think I'd rather them go back to the, the normal format in the end. I feel the same, to be honest. I feel like I understand people are kind of watching this now and they're really enjoying the way games are back to back to back to back. And it's a constant flow of sporting content, but the fans, I, you do notice, I mean, I'm not sure about you, but I watched the TBT tournament before the bubble began. Mm. And I feel like that prepared me mentally for the visual side of how the game looks in the bubble. But when it comes to, as you say, silencing fans, and I can see the arguments for keeping it centralized because no team has to travel. Everybody's fresh compared to if it was normal but don't if it's not broke don't fix it right yeah i don't think we need to play around with i'm not one for playing with the playoff format across the board i get made fun of all the time on uh nerder she wrote by seth and dave they just say i yell at clouds all day but you know like even the one to 16 like i understand the merits behind it and everything 
you know, for me, the ultimate thing I, I think we would lose with that is rivalries. You know, I think having those interconference rivalries it, it matters. And I think, you know, and that goes back to the 80s. So, you know, 70s, even earlier. So I just think, you know, I wouldn't want to lose those things. And I think that's why I'm always kind of hesitant to, to make a change. And like you said, if it's not broke, no need to fix it. I've seen people talk about it and discuss it. And I've kind of been quiet on the subject just because it doesn't really matter if I speak or not. If somebody's going to make a change, they're going to make a change. Yeah, right. Ultimately, we're just going to have to sit there. Adam Silver is not calling us and asking us what we think about the situation. So, you know, if they're going to make the change, they're just they're going to do it. It's not going to be on us. Yeah, it's kind of like I understand and it's fun to discuss. When we move on to basketball, what have you been seeing from who are your favorites? Who are your letdowns? Well, I think everybody was let down by New Orleans. You know, uh, I think we all took a punch in the gut for Zion. You playing the the minutes, the limited minutes across the board and things like that. I think, you you know, the way I look at it, you know, I understand it from the organization's perspective, so I get it. But really the other guys didn't even show up, and I think that was a bigger issue. And, and, and you know, Lonzo didn't shoot that well, and, and he struggled. And, you know, across the board defensively they were terrible. And I think that was something that was – a bit surprising. I mean, they had the easiest schedule and, and struggled the most, it seemed. So, you know, they were probably the most disappointing team. I've enjoyed, I mean, how can we not talk about Phoenix? You know, they're, they're undefeated in the bubble. I don't think anybody predicted that they've, they're, they're making a run for the playing game, which is something I didn't think they would do. And, and they've been a lot of fun to watch in, in that perspective, a lot of growth across the board, not just, Booker, but Aiton's looked good defensively. Mikael Bridges has really kind of stepped up and has shown what he can do. It's It's been a lot of fun watching that team almost kind of take a mini leap in this situation. So make the playoffs or not, like there's a lot of promise there with, with the Suns. And then I mean, how do you, I, I love watching Dame. So for me, I'm just going to watch Portland whenever I can. And, and, and they've been a lot of fun. I mean, all their games have been exciting and close. So I, I don't know if you could ask for anything better. Lillard's probably my no he isn't probably he definitely is my favorite guard in the league he's just the way he carries himself on the court the the way he's got that chip on his shoulder on social media as well really keeps me entertained in terms of Phoenix what have you seen from Cameron Johnson he a lot of people I've seen he's kind of broke out in the bubble he seems to be doing much more than he was during the regular season I don't know if that's just because shots are falling because it's a shooter's gym or Maybe there was a bit of performance anxiety playing in front of a crowd. I'm not sure what it could have been, but he's definitely stepped it up during this, the last few games. Yeah, and I think I would also kind of push back a little bit on him struggling this season. I thought he was pretty good for them this season, I, especially considering how everybody killed them for drafting him when they did. You, you know, he, he's an example of exactly what they needed, and it's worked out. He's everything they hoped, I think, Josh Jackson would, would be or would have been, excuse me. And I think, you know, that's that's one of those cases where a team's like, this is the guy we want. We're just going to draft him. Screw positions and screw what everybody's going to say. This is who we want. It worked out for them. Obviously, if it didn't, we'd be killing them still. But, you know, that's just the nature of the game. But they've it's played out really well for him. He does a good job really spreading the floor. I still think he's got a little untapped potential. I know he's a little older than most guys. But I think they got – they got a good mix there across the board. And I think the one thing everybody kills Phoenix for is watching TJ Warren go nuts in Indiana 
And, you know, considering they gave him up for and, and cash considerations, all that stuff, you know, a, a pick for cash considerations, I think, you know, you got to kind of look at it. It allowed them to get Ricky Rubio. It kind of opened the door for Cam Johnson to really shine, open things up for Devin Booker and things like that. So even though we probably think, hey, you should have gotten a draft pick out of that, you you look at it and you go, all right, but it, it still worked out for them. It wasn't the best trade, but they they still were able to pan – everything was still able to pan out for them, and I think they're doing all right. And I think he's got a good good spot for him. He's in a good place for Cam Johnson. I think altogether I think they're just in a good position. I mean, while we're talking about the Suns, this is something I should have really explored on this podcast but never did in great depth. A few during the hiatus, Jason Tatum went on All The Smoke podcast. I don't know if you watched that. And he spoke about his enthusiasm, I'll say, uh, towards playing alongside Book in Phoenix. Obviously, that never came to fruition. How would you see them now if they'd made all the moves that they made and the only difference was they'd acquired Tatum in that draft? Yeah, I mean, they would be... I mean, think about how good they would be in that sense, right? Like, that's two top-notch scores and things like that. I think they've, they would really be on another level. They'd probably be – here's the thing that's ultimately tough when you, we say these type of hypotheticals is you don't know if the development's the same, right? You don't know if Tatum develops the same way as he, ha- as he did in Boston. You don't know if this changes how Booker plays, you know, from when Tatum would have gotten there. And I think that's a difficult thing to figure out. And then ultimately at the end it's, hey, the West is so stacked, you know, like would it have made that big of a difference? And, and I think that's kind of the, the real questions there. But it would have been fun to watch. I mean, just another wing who can score would take pressure off of Booker in that sense. I mean, it would, have, would be easier across the board. I just don't know. You know, the one thing I'd say is like, Ricky Rubio plays a real important role on the Suns because he's able to, you know, uh, free up Devin Booker off the ball and things like that. I don't know if Devin Booker would be on the ball more if Tatum was in or whatnot. It it, it would be a tough one to figure out. And then while we're talking about Tatum, uh, I know we're kind of talking about him for Phoenix at the moment. He went probably the worst game of the season, most likely, against Milwaukee in the opening night. It was just terrible. It was a heartbreaker, especially Mm -hmm. for... Anybody thinking that Tatum was going to give them problems. And then all of a sudden, he's turned it around. He's putting up big numbers again. He put the team on his back against the Magic the other night. Where do you see him kind of leading this team? Do you feel like Boston are a piece away from making it out of the East? Yeah, I think Boston's really close. And I think, you know, it's not just Tatum. I I was thinking about it the other day in my car, and I was just kind of, it kind of dawned on me. I said, wow, like, if Tatum continues to develop defensively, as he's shown this year, he's been a lot better on the defensive end. And you have Jalen Brown. I mean, you almost have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard at a younger age, you know, that, that they could hopefully develop into those guys, you know, and that's solid. I think, you know, Kemba Walker is a nice piece across the board. But I think, you know, he, he, by the time these guys hit to where they're going to be, you got to start building around those two. And I just think the future for Boston is great. And I think the one thing they're missing this year, and, you know, this, this one might hurt a little bit, is is Al Horford or an Al Horford type. You know, I think this is the one thing that's that's hurting them is they just don't have the big men. And as good as Tice has been in the, the bubble and really all season, I come playoff time, I think it's a different deal. You know, you got to look at the bigs that they might have to battle. Looks like they're going to play Philly in the first round. And 
Philly has a ton of problems. We know every issue they have, but they still have a massive guy in Joel Embiid who can probably get you 40 and 20 on a nightly basis if you really try. Uh, and, and that's kind of something. And then you have Al Horford there as well. Like, that's a lot of bigs. Then you have potentially Toronto in the second round. You know, that's that's challenging in, in its own right. You have Gasol. You have Siakam. You have to deal with a lot of length in the situation. Serge Ibaka. Then if you move on and you're playing Milwaukee, you have – you know, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and you have Brooke Lopez. Like, there's a lot of size across the board that they're going to have to face. And, you know, we can make the argument, well, those teams got to figure out how to guard them. It's true, but it's also a, a challenge for Boston. And I think that's where, you know, that's kind of the one thing that's really holding the back for, holding the team back for success this year. But I think ultimately, like, man, their, their future is bright. I would be excited if I was a Boston fan for the next five to ten years. I'd, I'd feel pretty – confident with Tatum and, and Jalen Brown there. What's really funny is a lot of Celtics fans have kind of, and I see this on social media all the time, they've kind of accepted Horford leaving by looking over at the, the locker room issues in Philly and saying, Horford leaves Boston, goes to Philly, and now does locker room issues see the correlation? And I don't see it personally. Um, I think Horford's a consummate professional. He was one of Boston's I mean, best players. We, we, Celtics fans got to be honest with themselves at that point. <laughs> Horford wasn't the cause of the locker room problems last year. We know who was. It wasn't Horford. Like, let's just be honest here, guys. It's, uh, it's quite amusing to watch. People are really, like, leaning into that. And I understand if that's what you need to do to feel confident. <laughs> Stages and... of grieving and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when, I spoke, when Horford left, I spoke to um, his sister's very big in social media. So she came on the show and she mentioned that Oh, when he was leaving, he was leaving to go and contend for a championship. This was before the Celtics came out and acquired Kyrie, um, not Kyrie, I've been moved Kyrie, I've been acquired Kemba Walker. I'm not sure when we're looking at Kemba that Kemba's going to be the guard to help elevate that team towards the championship simply because it looks like he's already starting to decline. Those knees have been an issue for him. It seems a bit more tentative going to the room. Have you seen anything as a film guy? Have you seen anything to kind of corroborate that theory? Well, it's just hard for, in general, for a guard that small, you know, and, and he's not massive height or anything like that. I found him as a great complimentary piece for Tatum. You know, this was the year I thought, okay, Tatum really kind of has to show that he can be the number one guy. And he's shown that. And that's, you you know, him being the number one guy and bringing in Kemba Walker to be number two, I think, or, or, or three, depending on how the, everything shakes out. You know, I think that's that's kind of the idea there. Now, you you got to overpay sometimes to get these guys and things like that. So that's a, a massive uh, idea. And I think that's something that, you know, when you look at it across the board, he'll help. But ultimately, the Celtics are going to go as far as Jason Tatum developing evolving into that number one option and you that wasn't going to happen if Kyrie was there right like Kyrie is going to be the number one option that's a fact and I don't think Tatum takes this leap this year if Kyrie is there and that's not a shot at Kyrie like I don't want it to sound that way it's just a matter of of factness I feel like Walker is able to defer more and ease more easily to Tatum obviously he hasn't had the playoff success that even Tatum has had he's never made it to the conference finals or anything like that so he, he it's easier for him to defer that way and also him all off the ball is a big thing and a, and a good help and he's a good spot up shooter and things like that it just changes the game and dynamics across the board so I would I wouldn't look at it as 
their championship hopes pin on Kemba Walker. Yes, they need a healthy Kemba Walker across the board. And I mean, throughout the whole playoffs, but you know, it's ultimately they're only going to go as far as their young wings can take them at this point. And you've touched on something which has been a running theme through this podcast over the last week or so. So I'm going to pose you a question that's kind of been put out on social. We've discussed it at length. If you've got two players, player A will say that AD, Anthony Davis, multiple years in the league with very um, carrying a team, an all-star in his own right, a superstar in his own right, with very little playoff experience versus a guy like Jason Tatum that's younger in the league, doesn't have as much experience carrying a team, but has multiple deep, um, well, not championship runs, but playoff runs. Which type of experience would you consider more valuable if you was had to choose one? I think ultimately, I think I'd go with uh, somebody with AD's kind of resume. I think, you know, and, and I'm a big fan of experience. I think it matters across the board. But if you're able to carry the team, I think that's something you you should be able to hold on to going into the the conference finals. You know, Anthony Davis has only never made it out of the second round. I mean that might change this year and, and, and who knows how far he goes, but you know, he's not the one carrying the team, but he'll get to observe everything as, as, you know, as LeBron, as he watches LeBron's leadership and everything develop. And I think, you know, as much as Tatum has gone far, he's been to the conference finals one time, right? Like, you know, it's, it's not much, not that much more, right. He's gone one more round. So I think ultimately I'd probably go with, with Davis's resume right now, but that's not to say, Tatum's not going to be there, you know, give it four more years and let's see where we're at in Tatum's career. I mean, all the expectations that we thought he was going to make that leap in the second year, we're seeing now and this year. And I think that's something that's promising, you know, and something Boston fans also should understand. And I, I was preaching it when that year, his second year said, man, that's normal regression. That's development is not linear. It goes up and down. There's sometimes it's massive leaps. Sometimes it's small leaps. Sometimes it's a step back. Sometimes it's a massive step back, but it's a, a it, there's, it's never just a straight line up. You know, if that was the case, everybody would hit their potential all the time. That's just not how it works in life. So let alone in, in, in player development. So I think, you know, again, future's bright there, but you know, just for right now, I'd probably just lean on AD. It's a good question. We've been posing it to a lot of people. Most people have gone the same route as you. One of my co-hosts went with Tatum. Those players are examples, but it definitely does mean it's usually the best player will perform at his the best, no matter what situation they're put in. That tends to be the common consensus. Talking of player development and players that have kind of needed reps, what have you seen from a guy that's not in the bubble right now and who was on Boston that was also part of the problems last year, Mr. Terry Rozier? Have you seen him play much this year? What do you think of him? I've, I've watched a little bit of him. I mean, I'm not a huge Terry Rozier fan. You know, I thought it was – I felt like he was going to be one of those guys that leaves Boston and in the same way that we'll see a step back in his game. I think Terry Rozier thinks he's better than he actually is, you know, and, and, and that's fine. you got to have that confidence as a player, you know, to make it into the league. I just think, you know, ultimately to me, you know, he's – he is a backup point guard. He's a guy I want to play 20, 25 uh, minutes a night and, you know, can kind of help bridge the gap there and, and eat minutes as we rest our, our starting point guard. I thought Boston was a great situation for him. But, you know, guys want a, a, a bigger 
uh, share, a bigger share of the spotlight and things like that. And you can understand that. So I'm not mad at him for leaving. I just don't think it was uh, – what did he do for Charlotte? You know, it's like – I mean, how much – I mean, Charlotte was almost a playoff team last year. This year they're they were definitely a lottery team, you know, the whole way through. So, I mean, it wasn't like it's an exact trade-off. Kemba Walker's just better than Terry Rozier. It was a great trade for the Celtics. It's just that simple. And I just – I don't buy into Rozier's really that guy. You know, he'll have flashes, but I just don't buy him consistently being that guy. One of the biggest consensuses last year was Rozier needs reps to be – effective on the floor he needs large playing minutes because of how much volume he requires to actually make a positive impact so I can understand why a place like Charlotte is attractive to him because he's going to go there there's very low expectations on the franchise you're filling shoes that are four or five sizes too big for your skill level and people are going to understand that and you're going to be able to get those reps up I don't think I think the Terry Rozier you see now will be a very similar Terry Rozier in three or four years and I've yeah, tried to, I, don't, I don't see much growth there. You know, I'm with you on that. You know, uh, he shot the ball well from three. I'm, I'm pulling up his stats now. You know, shot almost 40% from three this year. His his scoring average doubled from last season. But it, it, didn't, it didn't really turn into wins. Yeah, and that's the thing, right? If you'd rather put wins on the column instead of improve your own scoring average. And that's the difference in mentality between certain players. Now, I've kind of pieced this together quite well. I'm getting very good at doing this. <laughs> good. <laughs> it's only took like three years. Um, so another player that the Celtics have that, from my opinion, is going to be very similar to Rozier in terms of needing high volume to score is a rookie in Carson Edwards. He's been a huge anticlimax throughout the season. He had real good games in the summer league, was fantastic during March Madness before he got drafted. And then he's flatlined whenever he's been put into a Celtics rotation. I'm of the belief that maybe he's just not NBA ready at this point. Have you watched him play at all? Do you have an opinion? I mean, I, I have an opinion in the sense of I have a friend who's a diehard Celtics fan and was going nuts all offseason about how great Carson Edwards was going to be and things like that. And, and, and the utter disappointment for him that he, he can't really get off the bench is is a thing. But it goes back to... Look, another small guard. You know, he's he's not even listed at six feet. It's it's just a tough scenario in the way this league is played. Shot poorly from three. You know, we always say it. You need more reps. You need more opportunities and things like that. And he was a high scorer in college. But there's a big difference between the college game and moving to the NBA game. The the talent level on the floor increases tenfold. You know, it's it's you know the the average center in college is not making it to the NBA. You know, it's 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 along those things. So it's it's tough in that sense. It was a good flyer to take and maybe he develops into a Isaiah Thomas like scorer, you know, off the bench, but you know, it's just not there right now. Plus at that size, you know, teams are just going to take advantage of him on the defensive end and you know, that's that's a challenge and if he can't defend it becomes a bigger issue if you're not scoring on the other end. Like that's what IT did so well, right? Like he made up for the fact being not only the smallest guy on the court and not able to to defend all that well, to be able to drop thirty to thirty-five points. So that's that's kind of the the trade-off you gotta make there. And I think, you know, Edwards isn't there yet. And and you know, he's a rookie. It's kind of unfair a little bit. I don't know if he'll ever get there because it's just it's just hard to do at five eleven. 
the only other small, I mean, the Celtics love small guards. They seem to be um, drawn to them. It's a magnet. Oh, you're under six foot. Then we, you come play for us. We'll make you good. The other small guard they've got, who they actually didn't sign to a, a full-time contract and put him on a two-way, which looking back, looks like it was bad business. Maybe it should have been the other way around. Was Tremont Waters absolutely destroyed things down in the G League. Um, I think he was G League MVP or he was on the G League all G League team. Maybe both, actually. He's really shown flashes of playmaking. He's shown an ability to score on bigger guys. We always say on this show, if this was NBA 2K, he'd have the giant killer badge. I don't know if you play 2K. <laughs> I, I go ahead, go ahead. No, go ahead, go, go. I was just going to say, I, I'm really interested in what you've seen from him and whether you feel like he could be a rotation piece next year. And I'm, if it's not in the Celtics, I'm sure other teams will take a flyer. Yeah, I mean, other teams will take a flyer. It's, it's just one of those things. It's, w- w- let's see what he looks like. And G League success doesn't always translate to NBA success. You know, it's, it's again, it's a whole different league and the way things are played and, and, and how things are developed. Doesn't mean he can't be a player, but it's just it's just a challenge in that sense. And I have I haven't seen too much of him, Adam, to really be able to go into uh, deep detail about him. That's why nobody's seen too much of him. That's the that's the whole <laughs> that's the whole mystery. Let's move on from the Boston Celtics. Uh, we've spoken about I know it's a Celtic show, but if we've got a savant like you, we're gonna touch on those teams. <laughs> My sleeper for the entire East at the moment. Is Miami. I feel like Miami are really well constructed. They're really scrappy. They embody that Miami Heat culture very well. Bam Adebayo to me. And I think statistically as well. Is probably the best matchup defensively you can have against a guy like Giannis. Uh, I think the numbers actually corroborate that as well. Do you think they're going to be one of those teams that really make that run where you don't expect them to, like the Cinderella team? I mean, they have the promise of that. You know, the the one thing that scares me about Miami is, you know, they're depending a lot on young guys. You know, Duncan Robinson, Kendrick Nunn, Tyler Hero. We saw it in that Mi- in that Miami-Milwaukee game in the bubble, right? Like, they were killing them in the first half. In the second half, they couldn't stop turning the ball over. It just felt like every time they caught the ball, they were just handing it right to the Bucks for a transition bucket. So there's a, there's that kind of issue, and that's the inexperienced side of things kind of coming out. Now it's Dragic is back. He looked really good yesterday in their game against Indiana. You know, Butler's back, and, and so those guys may not play as big of a role, but it's going to matter. And and Bam is a good matchup for Giannis. Like, he he really does challenge him. He has the agility and the size to affect Giannis. But the crazy thing about the East, Adam, is every team has a reason they can make it to the finals and a reason why they won't make it to the finals. Like, it's one of the more interesting things. It's like everybody has a glaring weakness that they could take advantage of. You know, like we could run down it right now. Milwaukee, I'm not sure if they have, you know, a secondary offense they can really go to. And I'm concerned about their defense in terms of, you know, will they adjust to things? We saw it in the Dallas game. They didn't really adjust their pick-and-roll coverage, and Doncic was able to go off and, and, and really attack the bigs and find three-point shooters, which is a shot they're willing to give up. But if teams are making it, you think you got to adjust. You know, when you look at it with Toronto, that's a heavy transition team. You know, we saw it in the game against Boston. You know, Boston kind of took them out of transition, played it, made it a half-court game, and if you do that, 
your chances of winning or go up just because they're not as good of a transition offense or excuse me, not as good a half court offense team as they are a transition offense team just touched on Boston with the size thing. That's going to be an issue. Like there's no ignoring that, you know, Miami, like I said, the young guys, Philly's a mess. Like Philly, God knows they're the most frustrating team in, in, in the league at this point. Cause you know, you, you look at them and even with Ben Simmons out, you, you go, okay, well, they still have a talent to win a series, you know, maybe not go to the finals, but just the way everything's going out there, it doesn't feel right. So, you know, you, you look at it across the board, Indiana's, you know, they're cute, but they're not really a threat. So it's like, I think it's, it's every team kind of has different ways they can do it. And it all will come down to like matchups and, 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 and in that moment who hits shots. It's going to be a fascinating playoffs in the East. I like the fact that you've just gave the listeners as well reasons to be excited as well as to be a little bit nervous when no matter what matchup they get. That's I like the point about Toronto as well being a transition team. One of the articles recently put out on Celtics blog from Adam Spinella, who's actually a coach in the college level, was talking about like a three-quarter zone that they're running, uh, specifically to limit teams in transition. And you did see it happen against Toronto. Another point I want to point out that my co-host on my other podcast mentioned earlier, which kind of shocked me, but then was very understandable, is Miami leads the the bubble in shots per in assist per assists. Yeah, in assist, they leave the bubble in assist. <laughs> so um, I was trying to make it sound better than it was. And for me, that's simply because outside of Butler and Dragic, they don't really have their anyone else that can kind of create their own shot or get their own looks. So if you can deal on those two guys, then you're really going to make life hard if you can clog the passing lanes. Yeah, you know, the, the, the thing that's interesting about that is, you know, a lot of their offensive sets are dribble handoffs and things like that. They use BAM a lot to initiate the offense. I mean, just go back and watch Duncan Robinson work off of screens and things like that. I mean, that's really where they're they're finding some opportunities. And then you have a high IQ guy in BAM who knows when to slip the screens, when to when to set it, when to pretend to set it, and and just go right away. It's it's there's a whole bunch of there's a lot of high IQ guys there and you could see it all kind of working together and listen to me he, he doesn't get enough credit Eric Spolster is one of the best coaches in the league you know and, and and should be in the the coach of the year top three every year you know maybe he doesn't win it every year but him and Nick Nurse should always kind of be in that mix there and I think that's something that uh tends to go under uh, overlooked but I think that's something that he's a big piece to, and, and he's kind of built a really good offense and system around all those guys. Talking of slipping screens, I've been raving, absolutely raving about Robert Williams at the moment because of how much he's using a, the Celtics kind of start off whenever they put Marcus Smart and Robert Williams in together, they're running a double screen. And as Smart comes off the first screen, Williams will slip and it's just an open lob opportunity. And it seems cash. They run it probably two times a game, usually early in a quarter once they put both of those guys in. Where do you see Robert Williams' next development? I've been harping on that I want it to be a mid-range jumper, but maybe I'm wrong. Well, the the thing I would like to really see him be able to do is make the next pass. Catch it on a roll and the help is recognize that the help is there and make the next pass, whether it's to the corner for a three or, you know, the, the, uh, a cutter coming in. Like, that's the kind of stuff 
that really kind of helps elevate the offense. You know, we would definitely like it if he developed a jumper, right? Like that, <clears throat> excuse me. You know, and I, I think that would be uh, gravy. But I think the, the ultimate level of things is if he can just catch it and make that pass to the weak side corner, or if it's, you know, Gordon Hayward cutting, being able to make that little bounce pass. I think that's the next evolution. That's something young bigs really need to work on and make sure they have in their game. You're seeing it in Portland with Yusuf Nurkic, who's able to do the short roll, and it just opens up their offense completely. Bam Adebayo at the at the elbows is great for Miami because he's able to make those passes. Being able to understand that stuff and, and when and how to make those passes goes a long way, and I think that's something that I, I, I would want to see next in Robert Williams' game, even maybe before a jumper. But, of course, if he has the jumper, it means that it, it's – easier for him to get that pass off. So it kind of goes yin and yang with it. But uh, for me, I'd want him to be able to just make that pass off the short roll. I mean, he showed flashes of that actually earlier in the year before he went down with his hip edema. He was um, really dropping some nice swing passes off that short roll. He was catching guys open on the cut. But then since he's come back from that hip injury, and he, obviously he's working his way back to fitness, trying to fight him for his minutes in the rotation, he seems to have solidified that now at the cost of Grant Williams. But that isn't something that you're seeing from him now. You're not seeing the short roll or the facilitation. He might throw a Hail Mary pass if he's closed down on the low block. But I completely agree. If that swing pass can be developed, or sorry, sorry, if that pass out the short roll can be developed and then he can add a jump shot to his arsenal as well, then he's going to be a multidimensional threat coming off that screen. Defensively, the one thing I've really been pleased with him uh, over the last three games, so it's not really a huge sample size. There's always going to be regression, as you mentioned earlier. Is He's not biting on every single pump fake that's thrown at him this season. Yeah. Well, in the bubble beforehand, he would get faked into the sky four, five, six times a night. Uh, he sta- Toronto's an example that I, I was using the other day. He stayed on his feet. He stayed tall in front of Ibaka and got the block without even needing. I think he tiptoed and got the block. Uh, and it's that little evolution for me on the defensive end that's going to keep him in that rotation long enough to develop those other caveats of his offensive game. Grant Williams, though, talking of Grant Williams, is um, I'm getting good at this. every every Celtics fan gets a big smile on their face whenever they get to talk Grant Williams. Oh man, Grant Williams is like uh, <laughs> his baby Horford, his baby Horford with a little bit of Marcus Smart thrown in there. Um, He's fell out the rotation because he hasn't shown, and this is per Keith Smith, who kind of, I was questioning why Grant Williams has fell out the rotation and Keith was nice enough to explain why, is because Williams has shown an ineptitude when playing along other bigs. He can't play as the four too much. If he does, then he needs to be got by a guy like Tice that's spreading the floor for him. As you say, every Celtics fan, I'm assuming your friend who's a fan has been uh, raging about him too. What's your take on him? Yeah, I'm I'm interested to see his growth and and his development as he goes through. You know, it's it's a guy that probably needs to shoot better from three, averaging about 25% from three or or just under that. You know, being able to stretch that floor, but he brings aside like a a toughness, like he's thick, right? Like he's he's got a a a strong base about him and, and things like that, and he's tough to move. I love his IQ. He knows how to play the game. He's smart in that sense, and I think that's that's going to take him a, a long way. I think the baby Horford analogy is pretty is pretty spot on there. Uh, 
but you know you, you got to start seeing him add things to his game and this this is his rookie year it's going to take time it's never going to be something that's quick and easy i mean he's only 21 you know let's it, it'll be a guy that they'll need to develop over time in that sense but i never but like i i will never feel like he's the make or break for the Celtics season right like his development will make us a championship you know or or if he doesn't develop we're screwed like it's just he's a nice piece that's I mean it's in that sense like I don't I don't go overboard and and it's not just Celtics fans that go nuts about him uh Seth Part now my one of my co-hosts on Nerder she wrote loves them you know and and things like that and always yells at me in the chat when I'm like eh, <laughs> um kind of thing so I think across the board you have there's a lot of people that believe in him and a lot of that comes from the IQ because he does have the basketball IQ and that goes a long way there and that can make up for talent deficiencies and 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 things like that so we'll we'll see how it develops but you know like he's not going to make a big difference he may make a difference in one game in the playoffs but not like a series right it's not like all right here comes grant we're going to get go up 10 you know like here's our run you know it's it's just one of those things where like he's he's a nice piece but it's not a an, make or break piece no i agree he's going to be one of these guys that has a long career as a rotation piece that's going to be it's going to be here comes grant we're not going to go down by 10 unless everybody else fluffs their rotations too he's just going to be a mr dependable maybe i could see him at his peak maybe seventh man in the rotation eighth man on the championship team could you see that i go maybe eight or nine eight or you nine. know you know a guy that it, it, it's hard to predict those things because you got to figure out what the rest of the roster looks like. You know, when you look at the Celtics, we know they're starting five. Marcus Smart off the bench. It, you, you know, you're, you're going with another big, which looks like it's going to be Robert Williams over Grant and Ennis Cantor. Uh, but even then, if, if after that, if you wanted to go another big after that, it's probably going to be Cantor before Williams, you know, because he can at least rebound and, and score a little bit more. And I think that's something that they'll – need to kind of figure out in that sense so you know it gets a little difficult and you'll want, probably want another guard in the rotation somewhere I mean they don't have that yet like that's the one piece that's kind of missing for the, the Celtics team besides size I shouldn't say the one piece and I'm naming two pieces but you know you guys know what I mean um, but I think that's kind of the the rotation so I, to me like eight or nine I wouldn't be shocked if he wasn't a, a, a rotation piece for a championship team but on the team. Like, he'd be great to have in practice. You mentioned Marcus Smart. Um, that is one of the more polarizing names in the Celtic stratosphere at the moment. There's a very large and growing contingent of people. I'm not part of this contingent. However, I have dabbled inside of the contingent. Uh, that are anti-Marcus Smart in the, in the times of now he's scoring more. It feels like his defense isn't as intense. He's puts up some stupid shots sometimes as he did against Orlando, which Tatum managed to bail him out of. And then he can really just shoot you out of a game as much as he can shoot you in. Where's your stance on Marcus? Are you, oh, his defense decimates all and he belongs, he get everything he gets in terms of the adulation is warranted? Or are you more realistic? Like, eh, if you weren't shooting so much, you'd be fantastic. Yeah, he's kind of, almost trending into the uh, Marcus Morris role on offense where you're like, dude, you don't need to be taking this shot, right? Like there are times where 
you want him to take the, the open looks and things like that. There are times where he gets a little too excited and, and goes one-on-one and, and tries to pull up three and things like that. And you're like, eh, I don't feel comfortable with this. You know, and it's and it's funny that you brought up that as his offensive game has kind of grown a little bit or his role has grown more offensively, his defense kind of has declined a little bit. You know, I think there's a little bit truth to that. And I think that's something that happens with all players across the board. You know, there are guys who, you know, it's funny. You see it, 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 it manifests itself in different ways. You'll see guys who used to be just straight rim attackers and, 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 and would attack the pain and, and, you know, would like, ferocious uh, abandon and now there are times where and now there are times where those guys will develop a shot and then they're not attacking the rim anymore and you're just like what the hell dude like that wasn't you know mix it in you know and I think they're I think smart has to learn when to pick his spots offensively but he's got to bring the defense up another notch you know and I think that's the ultimate key there you know if he's his main thing his main role is defense first you know, there's enough guys on that team that's going to take shots. You got Jason Tatum, Gordon Hayward, Kemba Walker, Jalen Brown should all be feasting before him, you know. And, and there are times where he's got to hit those shots because teams are going to sag off him and he's got to show that he's a threat and able to do that, you know. So it's it's kind of just picking the spots and the moments. But I, anytime he starts to go one-on-one and, and, and I look at on the court and he has Tatum on the court or and, and Kemba on the court or – you know, anybody else, like well, the guys I just named, I'm always kind of like, man, that's that's probably not what you want. It has been a cause of concern. Not, so I, I understand that he's two years into his contract. There's two more years left. After the free agency last time where he didn't really have any interest at all, nobody really came and made him an opinion. My mind tells me, well, this additional offensive jump, if he can sustain that for two more years, then he can go and get paid afterwards. And by playing that natural two below on D in terms of intensity, he can save his body and have a few extra years in the league. However, I just don't see many teams. I don't see Boston paying him more than 18 million a year. Mm. I feel like that anything more than that would be an overpay for him in terms, just because of the other types of talent around at that point. And then you look at, and I'll finish up on this, and then you look at Romeo Langford, who's coming in and doing exactly, he's earning his minutes exactly the same way Marcus Smart did at the beginning, and that's just pesky on-ball defense and staying in front of your man. I'm a huge, I think out of all the rookies, Romeo is probably the guy I'm, I'm highest on in terms of upside. Do you like Romeo? Yeah, I mean he's interesting. He's got he's he's got nice size, you know, six four, little, you know, strong body and things like that it's, it's all going to just come down to development it's hard just off this is this is the hard thing for teams like Boston that are trying to win right now and develop a guy at the same time because the most important thing for development is reps on the court and if you're not getting those you know and we talked about it with Carson Edwards and other guys if you're not getting those reps it's hard to kind of really find the opportunities to develop and and work on whatever you brought from the practice court, bringing it onto the game court. And that's the challenge. So, you know, if they can find more minutes for him in NBA games, not G League games, not sending him to Europe or anything like that, not that that's happening, but, you know, if they could find more NBA minutes for him to kind of continue that development, that'd be a great thing to figure out. If, If he is a guy that they can look at and when Smart's contract starts to, to expire, you know, they can go like, look, we can just slide Romeo right in and, 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 and we'll be good, if not as, as good, you know, hopefully. 
And if that's the case, then you can try to, you know, flip smart for an asset or something. We know Danny's always looking to try to make deals. So I think that's something that's got to work, but they got to figure out what he is first. And, you know, he's got to get minutes in games and not just, you know, 10, 12 minutes a game. Like you got to put him in since you're sometimes in crunch time. It's not going to happen in the bubble. Everybody relax. Like that's not going to be the case, but that's something they got to look forward to next season in terms of where, where do we want to go with that? And, and, and who is he? Yeah, and that's something Brad Stevens tends to do with a lot of his guys. He kind of red shirts people for their first year. He did it with Brad Wanamaker, did it with Daniel Tice. I know that's a European aspect with both of those guys, but he tends to let players acclimate themselves, kind of like what the NFL do with their quarterbacks, as I've been told, not that I would know from experience of understanding <laughs> the NFL. Um, but apparently they, they bring a quarterback in and you spend the first year studying the game with the team, learning the sets, and then slowly your taste of actual live action gets built up. And in the second year, hey, you're in the rotation. Let's see what you can do. It's, um, it's a jigsaw. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's part of the, the system. You know, the, the thing we never talk about with rookies, you know, that's a lot of stuff being thrown at them at once. You know, they're going from, you know, some of these kids just one year in college, which is basically their first year away from home in some of these cases, you know, to being a, a professional. And that's a whole different deal in the sense of there's no class schedule. There's nobody looking over your shoulder. There's no student manager whose job it is to make sure you get the classes or practices or things like that. That's all on you. Then let's add the aspect of these guys are probably making more money than they've ever made before, you know, and it's a whole system of trying to figure things out. You know, there are stories of rookies getting it, you know, getting their first paycheck and, you know, the, the team, you know, somebody with the team having to take them to open a bank account. You know, and, and this is their first time figuring out bills and things like that and all that. So it's a lot being thrown at a 20-year-old kid, a 21-year-old kid as they're figuring out and then figuring out the NBA game on top of all that. So it's not necessarily a bad idea that Stevens kind of works these guys in, maybe gives them a year to kind of adjust to everything before they get into playing and, and stuff like that. So, you know, it's obviously there are rookies who handle it right away and we have guys that come in that are studs and all that fun stuff. I mean, Tatum was great his rookie year and things like that, but it's, it's, it, everybody's different in that sense. So it's not always a bad deal that, Hey, first year, we just want you to watch. I mean, a great example of it is the Charlotte Hornets way back before they became the new Orleans Hornets and all that. They did that with Baron Davis. Baron Davis did not play much his first year as a rookie. You know, he sat there and he had to learn, you know, everything that was going on. And then he came in his next year and started to kill right away. So, I mean, there's benefits to what Stevens is doing. It's just hopefully they find the minutes for him next season. And that's going to be the hard part, especially with another free draft, well, slated free draft picks coming up. It's, uh, it's interesting, man, being, covering Boston and getting to speak about it all the time. is um, Sometimes you feel like you're banging the same drum, but there's so many different caveats to the way their roster's constructed and how Brad Stevens is bringing these guys on that you could just talk for days and we, I'm assuming I probably have at this point spoke for days um, it's a, <laughs> it's, it is interesting it's a really good a really good way and like you say having to pay bills deal with learning the professional side of basketball as well as just social media now does all this limelight on you you're expected to adhere to a certain level of social conduct that you didn't have to when you were in the frat house six weeks ago drinking beer bongs and doing god knows what else <laughs> you were up to 
it's a, it is a huge, huge shock to the system. And people are like, oh, well, they're millionaires. They're getting paid to, to act like that. If I give you $2 million and say, don't act like a fool, in, within the next yeah, year, you, it's going to be hard. You give me a million dollars today, I'm acting like an idiot. <laughs> and I'm an adult. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm well past their age. I'm, I'm still going to act like a fool. So, you know, it's not a... It's, give it's, me a green card. I'm doing backflips over the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> <laughs> you sure you want to come over with how things are going these oh, days? Man, it can't be no worse than here. Usually, I used to oh. have like basketball. Adam, that's a whole other deal. We could talk about another time. It's <laughs> a whole other podcast. Before we go, do you want to um, do you want to take this moment to let everybody know where they can find you in your? Well, I think that your work's great. I think that your Twitter account is really educational, and I use your website quite frequently as well. So, oh. if you'd like to enlighten everybody else, thank you. Um, yeah, you can just follow me on Twitter, Mode Dakil, M O D A K H I L underscore N B A. Uh, when games are going on, I'm tweeting a ton about games and video clips and things like that. When games aren't going on, I tend to just do stupid things. So why I probably shouldn't be given a million dollars with it and thinking I'm going to act like an adult. Uh, and, you know, you can find my writing on Bleacher Report. I'm on a bunch of podcasts at The Athletic. Nerder She Wrote on Fridays, part of the NBA show there. And Brody and the Beard talking about the Houston Rockets on a regular basis. So, you know, that's where you guys can find me. Easiest thing, just follow me on Twitter. From there, you'll you'll always see everything I'm tweeting out. He also missed his Jump Ball University website, which is... Um, <laughs> I haven't updated it in so long, so I haven't... <laughs> oh, really? Um, guys, if you're looking to learn little caveats of film, when I was first starting to watch film and try and understand different play sets, Mo's website helped me out a ton. Once you get past where he is now, he's not updating it at the moment, so you're on your own. You've got to start doing your own. <laughs> It's, 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 I give you the basics there. You got to go figure it out from there, guys. <laughs> guys, thanks for listening. We'll be back again on Friday. I have no idea what that's going to be about. So, you know, we all love surprises, especially on a Friday. Mo, thank you again for coming on, man. Oh, thank you for having me, Adam.